0: Welcome to Talking Startups at NYU, brought to you by the NYU Entrepreneurial Institute in partnership with WNYU. I'm your host, Giovanni Fumé. This podcast series explores the roller coaster ride of turning your idea into a successful business. It features entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and other startup experts. Follow the series on iTunes and SoundCloud. My guest today is Este Goldschmidt, the founder of ShopDrop. And before we get to the conversation, I just wanted to give a little context as to what the app does. Because the way we recorded this conversation, we actually talked about her personal life first before getting to the actual app itself or the product she's working on. So, just for some context, so you don't get confused or lost in this conversation, what ShopDrop actually does is it allows you to find sample sales in your local area. And if you don't know what a sample sale is, It's a shopping mechanism by which a company, a fashion company, will take last season's inventory and sell it at a way discounted price. Um, It's actually quite popular. So, anyways, uh, this was a really great conversation to have. I really loved talking to SA. It was so interesting to hear about how she transitioned from someone who thought, you know, her life was going to be about climbing the corporate ladder and then transitioning to becoming the type of person that's willing to take the risk to go and start a business. So I really appreciate her opening up to me and talking about uh, her business with me. So I hope you like it and uh, stay tuned. Hi Esty, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Hi Giovanni, thanks for having me. It's really exciting to be here.
0: So, did you want to work in fashion before entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship before fashion?
1: I wanted to be an entrepreneur for a pretty long time. I wanted to do it under the umbrella of a larger corporation because I felt like that would be much safer uh, and would mitigate my risk. However, I understood very soon that that wouldn't happen. I participated in a number of competitions. I didn't have the network, so I applied to business school. My essay, my interview was all about becoming an entrepreneur. And the reality is that I had no idea what to do or how to do it. So I was recruiting for investment banking very heavily. I think I had about 65 informational interviews at different banks in New York. And then I went home to Moscow for Thanksgiving and after the weekend. I had this eureka moment. Like, what the heck am I doing? This isn't what I came here to do. So, I came back to the States looking for opportunities uh, for the summer that would immerse me in the entrepreneurial uh, world. And the perfect opportunity ended up being at Mass Challenge in Israel, which was a startup accelerator. Uh, for those who don't know what an accelerator is, it's a. Does everyone know?
0: Uh, I mean, we've talked about it quite a few times on this show.
1: So it's one of the largest accelerators in the world, I think, because they had five locations last year. They were opening their first place in Israel. So there were 48 startups. And I was on the accelerator side, helping them with marketing and recruiting international startups. So that was uh, a pivotal point for me because I, I saw the most amazing... Startup ideas, you know, men who are providers for their families who left stable jobs and were working without a salary for two years with kids at home just to pursue their idea. It was a phenomenal experience, and I came back knowing that I wanted to work on a startup.
0: On a personal level, did you have to make, like, a character transition from someone who might be somewhat inherently risk-averse to accepting risk?
1: (laughs) That's very interesting. I think I'm still making that transition. Every day, I double... I, I try to convince myself that I made the right choice and that I'm not going to end up homeless one day. Um, but I do feel like I'm pursuing my passion and that this is important. It, it's it's very scary. I'm not going to lie.
0: And how do you deal with that fear?
1: Just by pushing forward. It's it's interesting because I I, I, I was thinking by the time the summer was ending, I was thinking of taking a corporate job um, and, and doing shop drop on the side, quote unquote, but part of me felt that I would feel less pressure to succeed with shop drop if I had a job on the side and I would be able to sort of put it aside and, and say, you know, never mind. I, I have this validation of mm. being you know, a successful career person otherwise. And I feel like without that, without that safety net, um, I have a stronger need to prove myself with shop drop and to push forward.
0: So uh, tell us a little bit about ShopDrop. Tell us a little bit about the history of like how it started and how it transformed into what it is now.
1: Sure. So back in 2014, this guy Corey Bishop and Bill DeMuro joined up to create a sale app you know, Corey had just moved to New York and he would see all these sales and signs and windows um, that would say, there's a pop-up sale, a sample sale, any kind of sale, just stop in and check it out. And he would say, where are these things promoted and how do people find out about them? And he realized that there's no centralized system or app, really, that does this. So he got together with Bill. He was the product designer. Bill was the developer. And they created the first iteration of ShopDrop, which would let you know when there's any kind of sale in your area. It was based on geolocation and it would uh, send a push uh, push notification. So the app was picked up by TechCrunch, Fox News New York, Time Out New York, immediately after launch. um, There were 17,000 downloads in a few weeks. A lot of the downloads were in Utah and places that were completely irrelevant to to where the information um, was being disseminated. So the users weren't really active. It was a side project for both Bill and Corey, so they decided to bury it. Um, In the end of the summer of 2016, so we're talking about almost a year ago, exactly a year ago, Corey decided to give this another shot. You know, this is an idea that, that might have a potential. So he took a look at the data. And the content that people were interested in and actually looking for was sample sales. And what a sample sale is, in a nutshell, is when a brand, usually a designer luxury brand, takes um, its excess merchandise that includes sample and stock and puts it up for 70 to 90% off for mm. a limited amount of time in an obscure location. You know, sometimes it's in their office on a 15th floor of a random building in in Manhattan or in a warehouse in the city as well. Why do here.
0: companies do sample sales?
1: Yes, because every single brand is overloaded with excess merchandise. There's There are many new luxury brands popping up every day because of companies that make sourcing and creating new luxury brands much easier than it was years ago. There's a constant pressure to compete and to create newness, but the amount of consumers... Um, is limited so when the new stock and merchandise comes in brands have to get rid of their excess merchandise of their old merchandise their options are either destroying it or selling it to a third party retailer like marshall's or tj maxx but that discounts the brand tremendously and they don't even recuperate their cost of goods Mm -hmm. so so this is an option to connect directly with the consumer and to get rid of the merchandise
0: as the cycle of new brands coming up becoming popular and then fading away becomes quicker and quicker yeah does that put you under pressure because you basically always have to be furnishing brands that you may have never heard of and so that how complicated does that discovery process become
1: there are two types of brands let's put it this way established brands and discovery brands the established brands are the main reason customers come to our platform okay and the discovery brands are the reason the brands are interested. So I think the discovery process is our opportunity. That's that's the, why the brands will need us, because we have a platform of users that are interested in discovering new brands and interesting at trying them at an entry price point. Um, so that's actually a plus for us, the high turnover of luxury designer new brands.
0: And so... Uh, we mentioned before. That
1: being said, could I just make one more point? Yes. Something that I've learned that's very interesting is that customers are interested in trying new brands. Customers are very interested in the discovery piece, as long as it doesn't cost them an arm and a leg. Mm-hmm. So, when we'll post a new a new sample sale coming up from a brand no one knows about, so sample Tucker. So so basically, so Tucker is one of those those brands that I never heard of before. I saw their sample sale come up and posted it to the app. And we put up a few pictures of what the brand, uh, the kind of merchandise that the brand sells. And we say, you know, typically a top costs $285. And here at the sample sale, you'll be able to get it for $22.85. Mm-hmm. So I got a few emails saying, oh, my God, I never heard of Tucker before. And now I'm obsessed with the brand. So that's an opportunity of us connecting consumers with brands and once that consumer, that consumer is a young professional in in her twenties, you know. Once she grows in the career hierarchy and she can afford a more luxury experience and to buy items at full price, she will be a Tucker customer. Mm-hmm. So that's that's value that we're providing to the brands. So,
0: but on a behavioral level, are you concerned that as individuals learn, like, get more and more used to shopping online, their interest in going out to physical locations is going to decrease?
1: Yeah. So that's, that's a concern um, that I hear from investors and people tell us, aren't you moving in the wrong direction? And my answer is no, <laughs> because people are online more and more, but people are still looking for physical experiences. So people might not go into stores for the sake of shopping the way they used to go in 10 years ago. But there are two caveats here. One is, people still want experiences. So if, if mall shopping used to be your Sunday activity and used to go to malls and it was mostly stores, and now there are gyms there and all kinds of experiences, so stores have to become experiences. Um, and sample sales are definitely experiences. It's about the hunt. It's about not knowing what you're going to get. It's about knowing that you can't get it online because mm. it is exclusive. And the second piece is that all the items at sample sales are final sale mm-hmm. because it's excess merchandise and the discount is so steep that yeah. the brand isn't going to take it back. Now, there are companies that that replicate this online, the biggest of which is Guilt. Um However, uh, the discount at Gilt is not that great. It's about okay. thirty to forty percent on average. Even though originally the idea was taking sample sales online, and the complaint we got from from sh- sample sale shoppers, uh, whom we interviewed, was that it's final sale, and sometimes, very often, the merchandise comes in the wrong size, doesn't fit right, it's damaged, mm-hmm. and they can't uh, return it. So at a sample sale, you get to interact with the product. You know exactly what you're walking out with.
0: And for someone like me who's never been to a sample sale. You should go. Yeah? <laughs> h- how how much is this part of, let's say, the average like high-end luxury shopper's normal consume, consumption habits? Is this something people have been going to regularly for a long time and it just, I don't know about it?
1: Could I tell you something? Yes. I worked in the beauty industry. And, you know, to people on the outside, they're like, beauty, fashion, same thing. No connection whatsoever. Mm. I knew about four brands. But when I say I worked at I Lauder, they're like, sure. And that connection totally makes sense, even yeah. though it shouldn't at all.
0: Well, it made sense for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: But, uh, so... so I, so I was at Estee Lauder. My annual salary was forty seven thousand dollars a year, and I was working from seven a.m. to midnight every single night. And I would go in on the weekends. And my friends who were working less intense hours in accounting firms and, um, let's say, male dominated industries were earning way more than yeah. I was going to say,
0: say at that point you might as well do investment banking. Seriously, if you're working those hours. <laughs>
1: but the pressure to dress in designer clothes was through the roof. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was like, you think I'm not going to wear a $10,000 yeah. dress. And I had no I did not know what a sample sale was. Mm-hmm. And I was working in an industry where that would have come in so useful. My first sample sale I discovered when I was in business school after I quit my job at Estée Lauder. I had a friend in class, Casper, whose husband worked for Marc Jacobs, and they had a sample sale three blocks from NYU. And he was like, "Mate, you want to go? You'll be able to find things for 90% off. And I went to the sample sale. I bought $2,000 worth of merchandise for $200. Oh, wow. I bought about seven items. I was on a high. I was like, this is the craziest experience ever. Yeah. And I remember I came back to Estee Lauder for a meeting just to check in with the president and i wore the, the mark jacobs dress that i bought and she goes finally you learned how to dress <laughs> I, was like, I was like yes i couldn't dress Sorry. <laughs> um but but that was that was a eureka moment for me it was like you could it, you know if, if you're just smart about the way you shop and you find out where the sample sales are um you could you could present yourself in a whole different way for people who 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 value um, designer clothes, let's put it that way. But what was interesting is that I didn't go to another sample sale for a year because I just didn't know when they were happening.
0: But I'm curious, like, when when you state that you see uh, women undergoing a lot of pressure in these industries to wear really expensive clothes, to me it sounds like you have a slightly negative view on that social pressure. Yeah. Do you feel like by giving someone an option that's cheaper, you're enabling that pressure?
1: Yes. I think it's a very interesting question. And I, I, I have a two-sided relationship with fashion as well. And I think the whole idea of sample sales and shop drop is highlighting is highlighting both sides of of the same coin. One of which designer clothing is Fun! It Mm. is great. You walk around, you feel like a million dollars. People turn their heads in the street. And on the other hand, this is ridiculous. No item of clothing should cost six thousand dollars ever. And you know nothing stops a designer from designing something and saying, "This is worth this. This top, this tank top, is worth seven hundred dollars. That cost me three and a half. Let's say thirteen dollars to produce." So, so I feel like the whole concept of shop drop is is me yeah (laughs) it's a cynical (laughs) but but it's a cynical person who could appreciate the benefits of of the fashion industry as well and i think that's what we want to enable Mm -hmm. we want to enable the younger more ambitious smarter consumer to dress like a million bucks feel like it and and not have to suffer
0: earlier you talked about some of the concerns that investors were expressing to you and one that just came into my head when we were having this discussion would be how scalable exactly is this yes because you wouldn't i'm guessing the amount of actual products at the sample sale is limited and the amount of sample sales at any given moment is limited so the actual value you can offer to a customer may be limited yes. and so how how a cust- how often a customer is going to use a platform is basically it's it's lifeline right uh,
1: sorry one more time the last sentence
0: if the customer comes on a rep- once twice three times and doesn't see an appropriate volume or an interesting yeah. volume of sample sales then you lose that user
1: okay so so let's just run through the numbers there are between 25 sample sales a week and that's on a slow week to 45 sample sales a week in new york um in the high season so these are the numbers for New York. Now, the question of whether this is scalable or not is a bit of is is a larger question. And the answer is yes, Shopdrop is definitely scalable. I mean, look at the discount retail market. It's been growing 12% annually for the past five years. Mm. Um, and and TJ Maxx has been growing. Macy's is taking a whole new direction into the discount. Um Market, so is Nordstrom Rack, Sex with the acquisition of Guilt, Bloomingdale's um, opened a discount line. Consumers are getting smarter and they want designer clothing at a discount. So the reality is that brands have excess inventory, that they are willing to part with, air quote, at a value less than retail, mm. which is still extremely profitable for them. Let's, let's, let's not fool ourselves most brands are not losing money at sample sales. It, in the end of the day, it adds to the bottom line. So, so the question is, is ShopShop Shop creating a new way for brands to connect with consumers without a middle person, like Bloomingdale's Outlet or Nordstrom Rack? And if the answer is yes, and that's what we're out to prove, then yes, this is scalable. At least across the whole United States, in Asia, Europe, there's opportunity everywhere.
0: And if this really scales uh to like a multinational household name company then you're you're potentially disrupting two different industries one being the retail one and the other one being the fashion one because if this is scalable and everyone knows they have access to this then a designer can no longer afford the illusion of charging $6000 for something that someone can can buy at 200 because then they see well that person is literally taking advantage with me marking up the most disgusting margin ever
1: it's funny, but fashion is all about the psychology. Yeah. So if a brand doesn't tell you that initially this should have cost six thousand dollars, you're not going to be excited to pay two hundred dollars for yeah. it. Yeah. What makes a two hundred dollar purchase exciting is the fact that you're getting five thousand eight hundred dollars off.
0: The arbitrage,
1: quote unquote. Exactly. a One hundred percent. This experience, um Bottega Veneta had a sample sale, and that's a very expensive brand. I mean. And, and I was looking, so from the few little tests that we did, our average consumer at this point spends $100 at a sale um, and buys more than one item, so between two and three items, and Bottega Veneta, I mean, their retail prices are around four or $5,000, um, and then I get this Instagram message from one of our consumers, you can't believe how happy I am. I just bought this bag from the Bottega Veneta cell and it was only $1,450. <laughs> but, you know, they're buying a $3,750 bag yeah. and they're spending only 1450 So yes, that's, that's where the value comes in and that's, it's, it's all about the arbitrage, as you said.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's Thank been awesome talking me. to you.